You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll get into this today. 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, I'm going to read to you some context. I'll read you verses 1 through 5, but I'm not teaching on them today. Before I read them, I will say that the elders of the church this week sat with us for a very long time, um, early Tuesday morning, spending time in this passage, praying through this passage, confessing through this passage of Scripture. Um, Peter is appealing to the elders in the church, and so though I could teach on it, um, we, what we did as, a, as an eldership was we went through it. Um, myself, Pastor Tarek, Pastor Dave Daly, and then we went through it as a staff as well, spent time that morning as a staff in this passage of Scripture and meditated on it this week. So we went through this. We have been going through this. I want to actually take you down to verse 7 today, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1 just so you know what we went through, what we've sat with as well, and then we'll get to our, our, um, our selected Scripture. Verse 1, and then I'll pray. Uh, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to, the, to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. In our passage this morning, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is God's word. Let us pray. God, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would deliver us from anxiety. I do not have the power of a preacher or persuader to do it myself, I cannot deliver these people from anxiety. I can't even do it in my own heart. I have my own anxieties, Lord. God, we must cast them upon you. We must cast our anxieties upon you together. And so, Lord, would you help us to do that? And Holy Spirit, would you deliver us from our anxieties? Would you enter into our our deepest fears, our deepest longings, our, our deepest worries? Would you enter into those, Lord? as we cast them upon you. We wanna do this together corporately as a church. All of our worries, all of our fears, all of our anxieties, all of our heaviness, you care for us, God. You care for us, and so we can cast them upon you. Thank you, Lord. Would you lead me and give me strength and wisdom to teach your word? I desperately need you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a, a series um, for the, the, the duration of this fall. We're going to be wrapping up here in a couple weeks, and we'll move into more Adventy type teachings. Um, in a series in the book, in the letter, actually, of 1 Peter, written to uh, first century Christians who were, due to persecution, scattered all over Asia Minor. So because of persecution, 
Um, and the persecution uh, Peter lets on to believe is, uh, us to believe is that they were persecuted for righteousness' sake. They were persecuted because they were associated with Christ. And because they were associated with Christ, um, people were slandering them and they were losing their jobs and their homes and they wouldn't participate in the things that they used to do before they were Christians. They said no to those evil things and they were being almost um, uh, ostracized or persecuted and slandered in some ways because of it. And so they were scattered all over Asia Minor. And so Peter writes a letter to them and he's telling them who they are before God. What he intends to do with these readers and us as well is to tell them who they are before God so that they can be who they are in society. As they live in a foreign world that's hostile to Christianity, Peter's reminding them this is who you are before God. Today, as we come to verse 7, one writer says that verse 7 encapsulates the thrust of both the ethic and the comfort of the entire letter. Verse 7 here in chapter 5, verse 7, encapsulates, encapsulates the thrust of both the ethic and the comfort of the entire letter. The ethic has to do with what they're supposed to be doing, casting their cares on God, and the comfort is how they're able to do it because he cares for you. This is the, like he just, this writer, I like the way that this writer did that. He, he grabbed around this whole, this, this single verse and said, this is, this is what Peter's trying to get at, is that all of their anxieties can be cast on God. And the reason why they can be cast on God is because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter here is actually quoting out of the Psalms. He's quoting out of Psalm 55, and as he quotes out of Psalm 55, the psalmist is writing because his friends are turning against him. His friends, the psalmist's friends, are becoming enemies. This is kind of like what Peter's audience was going through. They were, they were with people, they were with friends, and then when they became a Christian, their friends like turned their back on them and said, we have nothing, we, have, we don't want anything to do with you if you're not going to go out and do the things that we do and party like we party and live the way we live. We want nothing to do with you. I can't believe you become a Christian. And it's like their friends are becoming their enemies. And so Peter hijacks this in the most profound and beautiful way. And he puts it right here. Psalm 55, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And Peter has much reason to pull this verse into his letter at the end of his letter. His audience then and now have much anxiety, much care, much worry, I believe as we turn to this passage today, we ourselves come with anxiety. As we face the holidays, we face Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. Another year has gone by. We're about to enter into a new year. There's so much anxiety that we kind of put off until Christmas. There's so much anxiety about what we've done during the year. Did we accomplish all of our goals? We're like, oh my gosh, I forgot those in February. And we get into Christmas and we're around our family. And sometimes that's great, but most times it's not. And then the people that we've lost, and we remember that during the holidays, there's so much anxiety around this time of year. And it's good for us, it's good for us, it's good for us right now to cast all our anxiety, all our worry upon God because he cares. But there are a lot of questions that might come up right here if we were to strip away the Christian cliche. I mean, this verse is cliche-ish. Like, hey man, just cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. And it sounds super easy. Have you ever tried to cast your anxieties? Have you ever tried to and became more anxious? Have you ever started to go, I'm anxious because, and you start recalling why you're anxious, and then you start to think of things you hadn't thought of before, and then you become more anxious, 
and you're trying to cast, you're trying to like pull up all the anxiety and cast it on Christ, but all you're doing is pulling up all the anxiety and you're like, okay, I gotta hold this, I gotta hold that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, then you're too heavy, you're too weighed down by your anxiety to even, even roll it over to Christ, let alone cast it on Christ. We need this because this can be clicheous. And when we look at this, we think, does he really care? I mean, God, do you really care? Cast all our anxiety on you because you care. Are, are you really there? Do you really care? And where's this anxiety coming from? It's so hard sometimes to slap on the face that says, praise the Lord, when we don't feel like that. This constant anxiety leads to depression. Some of us have felt that. Constant anxiety leads to outbursts of anger. Constant anxiety leads to insomnia. What do we do with our anxiety? Today I want to talk about anxiety as someone who's been pretty open with my struggle. I've been very open over the last uh, five years with this congregation, with this church, um, about my own anxiety and going through it. So I want to talk about anxiety, its causes, and cure. Anxiety, its causes, and cure. First, its causes. What is anxiety? Anxiety is the feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about some future event with an uncertain outcome. When you look at that definition, like some future event basically means everything in the future, and uncertain outcome means I don't know anything about the future. So everything has the potential of causing anxiety. So basically anything in the future can cause anxiety, and many of us live with anxiety. We live with anxiety for so long that we are not even able to define it like that anymore. We only know how it feels. We feel weighed down by anxiety. Now, I'm not your psychologist, I'm your pastor, so I can say this. Anxiety is a form of fear. Anxiety is a form of fear. It is the fear of not having control of the future. Anxiety falls under the realm of fear. It's when we look ahead in life and go, I can't control that. I don't have any control of the future. And because I don't have any control of the future, our minds go, well, how do I fix that? And your minds really deep down know that you can't fix that. And then there's this like break in the mind. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't fix that. How do I do that? Well, how do I control this person? How do I control that person? How do I control the situation? What if I save this? What if I do that? What if I... And we do this over and over and over in our head. And anxiety is the activity of focusing on tomorrow. Anxiety is the activity of focusing on tomorrow. It's a form of fear. We look forward with whatever it is, and we're like, I need to focus on that, and we do, and we become anxious. See, we don't worry about the past, but the uncertainty of the future. That word, uh, worry, in our English language is from an old Anglo word meaning strangle or to choke. So worry, from our etymology of that word, it means to strangle or to choke. The Greek word carries the same idea. The Greek word used in the scriptures for worry carries the same idea of choking. Jesus tells a parable of the sower, and he says that uh, uh, a sower went and sowed seeds everywhere, and some seeds fell on fertile soil, some fell on the roadside, some fell um, on the road, some fell on thorns, some fell in shallow, a shallow dirt. Like they all had different places they fall, and they all take, they all, they all had different results. And the disciples went up to him afterwards and said, I don't, we don't understand the parable. Jesus is like, really? Guys, come on. It's pretty easy. Um, and he literally said that. Um, he's like, the, the soil is the heart, and the seed is the word of God. And God's word goes out, and it falls on different people's hearts. And he gets to the heart of the, the um, thorns, and it says this in verse 
uh, chapter 13, verse 22 of Matthew's gospel. It says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, listen, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Choke it. That's worry. The, the worries of this life choke out God's word. Like we know it, we think we know it in our heads. Like, oh, I know God's word. And then worry comes about this life, about situations in life, about money, about making ends meet, about like future, how am I going to live here? My, my uh, landlord just raised the rent, like whatever it is. And then the, the worry of this life comes and chokes. That's that word in English even. Chokes. The worry chokes us. Worry chokes us out. See, anxiety starts in the mind. But after the mind, you start to feel anxiety in your chest. It starts in your mind, and you're rolling things over in your mind, and you're anxious, and you have a list of a million things to do, and you can't really accomplish them all, so you're trying to work it. How can I send this person this way and do this and that? And, and it starts in your mind, and then it moves from your mind down into your chest or the pit of your stomach, and you feel like you can't breathe. You get heart palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness. I felt all of these before. Anxiety and worry can literally choke you out. It chokes us. It chokes God's word out in us. It chokes our life out in us. It makes us unproductive. It freezes us in fear or makes us busy about all the wrong things. Some of us worry, and the thing we do is we numb out. We wake up with so much worry, we, like, we log on to um, Facebook or we turn on a new season of something on Netflix, and we just numb ourselves out because we can't deal with the anxiety anymore. And not only that, Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety weighs down the heart. Anxiety weighs down the heart. So there's a sense that anxiety can lead to depression. There's a way where anxiety, when it's, you're anxious for so long, can lead to a form of depression. The ongoing weight of anxiety can weigh on your souls. That is the Hebraic word that heart represents. Heart is where your feelings and your thinking meet. It's your center. It's not just your, your feelings, it's your thinking too. It's like where all of that mess it meshes. It's your soul. Anxiety weighs down the soul. That's what anxiety does. Am I making you anxious? I'm sorry, I don't mean to make you anxious. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, you're making me really anxious right now. But that's what it is. That's what anxiety is. What causes anxiety? Well, at one level, a million different things cause anxiety. Dust can cause me anxiety. Like there's so much dust and like things are out of order. I'm like, oh, and I start freaking out, like for real. And then I grab my little Swiffer duster and the world is right again. <laughs> I'm weird. That's me, okay? If you've ever caught me doing that in my office or in my car, you know what I'm talking about. But anxiety actually starts, true anxiety, for real, the root of anxiety, anxiety starts with momentary atheism. Anxiety starts with momentary atheism. If you're a follower of God, if you're a Christian, it's momentary. If you're not, it's probably ongoing. But anxiety starts with momentary atheism. What do I mean by that? I mean it's where your faith and belief in God is suspended. It's suspended for a period of time. And we live life as if there is no God. And it's up to us. Anxiety really takes root. The root of anxiety is that moment that you have where you're like, there is no God. You're not saying this, but you're saying this. There is no God, and it's up to me. That's where anxiety starts. It's a momentary, and the reason why I say momentary 
is because it leads us, it's momentary, it leads us thinking that there's no God on the throne. And what we do is we thrust ourselves on the throne. It's momentary atheism because there is no God. Well, I better be God then. And then we put ourselves on the throne. And we ourselves become God. Anxiety starts with atheism, but then you deify yourself and think it's up to you. That you alone are God and you must make the whole universe, your whole universe run. And that you're responsible for how people act and how people react. And it's funny because God's not even responsible for that. And you become a really bad God. Horrible God. And you start thinking that you are responsible for holding everything together. That you're responsible for holding your job together and your family together and your marriage and the news from your doctor. Everything. You are responsible for everything. You have suspended your idea and your belief in God. um, Anxiety starts with a lapse, a momentary atheism. Jesus famously exposes this in the Sermon on the Mount. He exposes it. He lets us know this is truly what's going on here. Let me read you what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read it out of a different translation, one you might not be familiar with, so the words sound fresh, okay? It's not on the screen. I want you to listen. Listen. Jesus speaking. Jesus' words. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to them than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. To be honest, I never found that last part comforting. (laughs) Ever. Even today, I was reading, as I was meditating on that this week, like, don't worry about, Jesus. like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has a, a lot of worry. Like, I've been there. I know. And today, there's probably more worry than you can deal with. And you're like, I'm like, that's not helpful at all. Like, I would think like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow because I got it. And today, you're good. Like, that would be way better. But what he's doing is like day-to-day dependence and faith in a God who cares for you. Day-to-day faith in a God who cares for you. Jesus saying is that when you worry, you must stop and look. You must stop and consider. You must stop and think. This is what he's saying. He's not saying, okay, quote, a really helpful verse. It's all gone. He goes, no, I want you to really think here. I want you to consider the lilies. I want you to consider the birds. I want you to look around and look at them. And I've done this. I've done this a lot. I, 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 I mean, I battle anxiety. And so I observe our birds. Our birds are pigeons. 
And I've observed pigeons a lot. Because I worry. And then when I worry, I'm like, and I don't, I don't like pigeons at all. I think I've told you this before. Like in between trying to punt them when they when won't move on the street and like shooing them away, like I consider them. I look at them and I go, I'm, why, how are they so mad? How are there, God cares for these pigeons? Are you kidding me? Why, God, would you care for these pigeons? Like how do they eat? How are there so many pigeons and they all eat? Like, God cares for them, and there's, like, three people in, like, unmarked gray vans that feed them as well. I've seen those people. <laughs> Have you seen them? Well, pull up, a side door opens, bird seed, all the birds, it's there, and then they drive away. It's really weird. But I've observed them, and I've seen, like, God cares for them. He cares for all of them. And I've also noticed, as I've considered the pigeons, how pigeons look like their district. Have you noticed that? <laughs> like, TL pigeons? Like, look like TL pigeons. Like, they're, oh, I've seen one with an eye patch before. Like, I, they look, um, marina pigeons. Like, they wear varsity sweaters, and they're like, they just, they call each other bro. And then there's, like, mission pigeons that are really, mission pigeons are really big. They eat burritos most of the time, and they're huge. But the most stately, beautiful, pre-fall pigeon is the Stowe Lake and Golden Gate Park pigeon. Go there. Beautiful. I'm like, that's, they hang out with geese and duck, like drink espresso with like pinkies out. Like they're beautiful. And you're there, you're walking around going, that, how, how, I didn't know you had that many colors. I didn't know you were like finally, like beautiful pigeons, like the way that God created pigeons that live in Stowe Lake. And I've considered these. I've looked at them all from all these different districts and how they all look like their district. And I'm like, God cares for all of them. And I'm worried I might, God, these pigeons don't care. They're just flying. They don't even care you're driving your car over them. They just stay there until the last minute. They don't care. And God, and Jesus says, okay, next time you're worried, consider. Next time you're worried, think. Go outside and look at the birds and ask yourself, who cares for them? Who does? God does. Are you much more valuable than a pigeon? The answer is yes. Look at the flowers as they grow during springtime. You worry about your clothes, really? What Jesus is saying is you need to slow down and look. Who's holding all of this together? Not you. God does. And then he says, this is what Jesus says. This is what Peter says. And God cares. The whole thrust of what Jesus is saying here in the Sermon on the Mount is, and how, how much more does he care for you? Peter's saying, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So what is the cure? Let's lead us back to 1 Peter. Peter's audience was threatened by a loss of status. Peter's first audience was threatened by persecution. Peter's audience was threatened by death. They had literal, uncertain futures. Like literally. Because of their association with Jesus, they would they have a job over the next year? Could they make ends meet? Could they stay with their family? Would they even be able to survive this persecution and live to see their kids grow up? These were actual anxieties of theirs, fear of the unknown future. And Peter, like a good pastor, says, cast all your anxieties on God. Cast. That, the only other time this word is used is um, during the triumphal entry when Jesus came riding in on a donkey, it says that the disciples cast uh, a robe, their robes, over a donkey so Jesus can sit on it and ride it in. Cast, like it literally means to throw. 
That's the only other time this word is used in the New Testament. So what does that look like? What, is it, what does it look like to cast our cares, like to take our cares, to pick them up and literally cast them on God? So this is where I'm going to get a little real practical. I know I ha- it's really hard for me to get practical, but I want to get practical here. How do we practically cast our cares and our anxieties on God? Two things, maybe three, maybe four, I don't know. We'll start with one. Here's something really practical, kind of cheesy, but really practical. Think of your anxiety as an alarm clock. Think of your anxiety as an alarm clock. And every time you get anxious, let it remind you to pray. Think of your anxiety, whenever your anxiety comes up, think of it as an alarm to go, it's time to pray. Like if you're anxious 50 times a day and 50 times a day you are led to prayer, that's a pretty good prayer life. That's a really good prayer life. If 50 times a day you get anxious and 50 times a day you cast your cares and your dependence on God, open yourself up to God when you get anxious in prayer. Open yourself up. Ask God to search you and to know you. This is how you begin to pray when you're anxious. You, you go, God, search me. Where, why, why am I anxious? Where is my unbelief? Where is my fear? Like, expose my fear to me. What am I afraid of right now? What is it? Open yourself up to God. Open your anxieties up to God. So casting, I know it feels good to go. What we want to do with our anxiety and by casting it, we like get rid of it. Like get rid of your fears. Like that, that's, a, that's a good way of thinking of it. But what, what, the best way to pray through it is like open yourself up. Like show me what, this, what the root of this anxiety is. Where am I not trusting you? Get into the habit of allowing God to enter into your anxious heart. Other thing I would say is don't go to God to feel better. This is what we do. We treat God as a pill. Like we go to God and we're like, God, make me feel better. I need you to make me feel better. We need to go to God to know him. We need to go to God to go, God, I'm not here to like necessarily feel better. I might not feel better, but I'm, I'm casting my anxiety on you. And would you show me what I'm afraid of? And would you in the process teach me to know you? And what if you hear back from, from God, you're sharing in my sufferings? What if you hear back from God, I'm making you more like me. I'm not going to deliver you in the way that you want me to deliver you. Don't come to me for like a pill. Don't come to me to, to relieve your anxiety. It doesn't say anything about relieve it. It's like he cares for you. Something's going to take it away from like no more anxiety ever again. What he's doing is entering in, into that and exposing it. Sometimes he wants us to wade through it. Sometimes he wants us to get to know ourselves more. Sometimes anxiety comes up and we open ourselves up to prayer. He's like, you really love that thing, don't you? You really, really, really love that thing. Why do you love that thing so much? Do you love that thing more than you love me? That's probably why you're anxious about it. That's why you can't, you can't, you're like, but don't touch this, my precious. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's, that's why you're anxious. Like, see, sometimes God doesn't want us to take a pill to relieve us because we never would know that. If we got anxious because of some relationship that becomes the center of our whole life or some career move that's the center of our whole life, something, and God just like makes us feel better all the time, it doesn't get to the root of it. That's a very weird form of, of spiritual growth. That's not what God is after. Sometimes he'll use anxiety to expose something like, why do you care so much? Why do you care so much about that thing? The second thing I'd say is, well, before I do, let me say this. If you see your anxiety as an alarm clock, you will find that anxiety can quickly become your servant. Anxiety can serve you as a follower of Christ. 
The second thing I'd say is in moments of anxiety, don't listen to your heart, speak to your heart. This is the worst thing. When I'm anxious and I listen to my heart, all my heart is saying is bail out. This is never gonna happen. You're gonna, like, you're gonna lose everything. Like, have you ever listened to your heart in a moment of anxiety? Your heart is not the most rational thing at all. It's just freaking out. And we're like, just listen to your heart. And I'm like, well, my heart's going this way and that way and this way and wants to retreat, but it wants to attack. Like, how do I speak to your heart? Say, why so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in God. It says, consider the pigeons, oh, my soul. They don't store. Consider the lilies, oh, my soul. Like, speak to your soul. Speak to your heart. If you listen to your heart, you will probably be deceived every single time. And you'll probably become more anxious and more worried. That moment of anxiety, speak to it. Remember that I opened the sermon up by saying that this verse is both the ethic and comfort of the entire letter. Ethic was what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to cast our cares on God. But the comfort is the power and the ability to do it. Now, we know that we're supposed to cast our cares on God. We probably know that in the moment of anxiety, we're supposed to pray. I mean, that's kind of obvious. But how do we? How do we cast our cares on God? How do we, like, open ourselves up with our anxieties and truly let God in or let go of the things that we're holding? How do we do that? In Mark chapter 9, there's a father whose most precious and valuable thing to him is threatened, demonically threatened. The very next verse in 1 Peter is to resist the devil this next week. And what Peter is saying is that all this persecution and all this stuff you're dealing with, not only is it because of the city that you're living in, there's also a demonic presence. There's also a devil who hates you, who wants to destroy you, This father in Mark chapter 9 knew this. He had a son who was demon-possessed. Now, we might call him today um, someone who struggled with epilepsy. But that that would undermine the way that Mark's writing his letter saying that there's actually an evil presence that's attacking this father's son. And this dad had to literally cast his son at the feet of Jesus. In Mark chapter 9... If you could turn there if you want to. The scene opens up as Jesus um, is on the Mount of Transfiguration where he shined with all of heaven's glory. He's up there on the Mount of Transfiguration and he shines and Peter, James, and John see him in all of his glory and they're like, oh my gosh, they're freaking out because he's, he's like, his like deity is, is, is like shooting through his physical body. It's such a gnarly passage. And then Moses and Elijah show up, boom, like holograms from Star Wars or something. And they're like, oh my gosh, like Jesus and Moses. I don't know how they recognized Moses. There weren't like paintings of him going around or anything like that. Like Moses, but they knew Moses, Elijah, oh my. And they're freaking out. And then Peter says this really strange thing like, let us make you temples because in the Old Testament, the glory of God had to be shielded by a temple because they couldn't look on it or they would die. And so Peter is so afraid of looking on Jesus without his humanity on, not Joe up. He's like, we need to cover you guys up. Like, you guys are too bright, too glorious. That's what he's saying. And, um, and they come down from that. And they come down, and when they come down, uh, this dad walks up. And there's a scene that's pretty chaotic. You have a dad who has a, demon, a demoniac son who, who has seizures all the time. 
And you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes that are pointing fingers at the disciples saying, they tried to cast out this demon from this boy, but they, they weren't able. And then you have the disciples going, why couldn't we cast it out? Like we tried, you told us that we had power to do it and we've done it before, but we can't do it with this boy. And everyone's in chaotic disarray. And they roll up to Jesus and they start saying, do something about this. Verse 17 in Mark 9, a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. I know people who have um, exhausted their resources by uh, going to the church, um, asking the church to help. And the church, they think in their mind, has failed them. Or they've gone to other people and they've failed them. And they fail and they fail and they fail. And this is kind of how the dad feels a little bit. Like, I brought him to your boys and they couldn't do anything. And I brought him here, the doctors, and they couldn't do anything. Like, no one could do anything at all. And Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus sees this whole scene The dad doesn't believe. The disciples have lost faith. The scribes and Pharisees are pointing fingers at why they couldn't cast out this this demon and this boy, uh, this demon, this boy. And all the while, this boy is like convulsing on the ground. And so Jesus asks for the boy. When the boy is brought to Jesus, the demon sees who Jesus really is and then throws the boy into a demonic seizure and he convulses the boy and he falls to the ground. And then Jesus does something a bit strange, but not out of character. He's done this before. He doesn't see the boy and just heal him right away. He kind of lets this almost dramatic pause go on. And what Jesus is really doing is he's bringing to the surface the fundamental importance of faith. He doesn't do anything for a while. The boy is convulsing on the ground and the dad is standing there and, he's, and Jesus is just watching him. He's like, how long has he been this way? He's like, since birth. Like he's flopping on the ground and doesn't do anything yet. And he allows what, the, the unbelief to like bubble up to the surface. How everyone in this scene does not believe. Everyone. And this boy is rolling around in the dirt and Jesus is actually making the father confront his own divided heart. And Jesus is putting his finger right on the thing that was most precious to him, his son. The the, the cause of all his anxiety, the cause of all his worry. And then dad looks at Jesus in verse 22 and says this. If you can do anything, if if you can, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That, um, that word, if you can, that, that captures both ability and willingness. Like if you are able to do anything, your disciples were not, and if you are willing, are you willing to do something? Like here's my anxiety, here's my son and it's cast before you. Are you able and are you willing? And Jesus says, if you can, Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the, the father's boy exclaimed, this is, this, is, this is where I want. I, was, so I want us to get this today in context of 1 Peter 5. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me overcome. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Faith is such a fragile gift because faith and doubt are not opposites. Faith and doubt are simultaneous realities. The faith and doubt lie in every single one of our hearts. And this is what makes faith so fragile. 
It's something that we might not hear or think about a lot, but following Jesus is this mixture of faith and doubt. It's about, I believe, but I'm also a doubter. Help my unbelief. Now, what does that mean? Help my unbelief. This dad said, help my unbelief. This dad was not praying that his unbelief might be helped till it came to the point of Jesus doing something like, help my unbelief. Add, give me faith. Give me faith. That's not what he's saying, and that's not what he means. He was not saying, Lord, I have a little faith. Give me more so we can get something done here. That's a lot of times what people think faith is. God, I don't have enough faith. Give me more faith. Like, add to my account, and then I have enough faith to buy something with it. That's what we think. That's not what's happening here. What he is saying is that I can only come to you as I am. I can only come to you in complete honesty. I'm actually, Jesus, I'm actually more of a doubter than a believer. I actually have more doubt in my heart than belief in my heart, but I come to you anyway. Help me. Do you see that? I come to you with faith and doubt. I believe, but there is unbelief in my heart. See, there are two types of doubt. There's a doubt that refuses God. Like, I don't want to believe in God. I don't want him to be true or real. I know about God's followers, and I don't want any part of that. There's a, there's, a, there's a doubt that refuses to believe, no matter what, refuses to believe. But there's also a doubt that surrenders. And this is the doubt of the Father. God here, here's my doubts. This is what this Father's saying. I'm honest with my doubts. I believe that you are bigger than my doubts. Help my unbelief. This is where we get a very good picture of what it logically means to be a, a, a Christian because there are simultaneous realities of faith and doubt, faith and belief, and doubt and worry. And it's taking all of ourselves and giving it over to God. Here's my doubts, here's my faith, here's my anxieties, here's my hope, and I give it to you. Um, Pastor Tarek and I, last week, uh, went and prayed for um, hope uh, Jones last Sunday after church, after I taught on suffering, um, we just went straight over there to pray for her. She wasn't doing well. And um, she had been suffering uh, for a while, a long while. And I'll wait more for the memorial to share more about that. But when we finally got to prayer, Hope did what she often did when I prayed with her and prayed for her. We laid our hands on her um, to pray for her. And she, as soon as I go, let's, let's pray for you now, she, um, she opened up the palm of her hands toward God, just like that. She did this often when we got a chance to pray with her. And it wasn't an act of, like, receiving, but an act of, like, surrender. If you knew hope, you knew this. Um, it was an act of trust. It was an act of my life is not in my hands, but, God, they're in your hands, like, here I am, all of me. Hope had fears and doubts and a lot of faith. And it wasn't uh, we trust God to dot, dot, dot. A lot of people believe that. We trust God, and then we add to that, to, and then we add whatever we want. But that's not trust. It's we trust God, and that's it. Those are the hardest words to say. Those are the hardest words to accept. 
And this father was like, we tr- I tr- I, here I am. Like doubt, faith, everything. All I am, everything I am, I bring it before you. And it's not the quantity of the faith, it's the quality. It's not how much faith we bring to God, it's the quality of it. It's like, here it is, here, it's, my faith is in you, Jesus. And the object of my faith is Christ. And so this dad pleads as a doubter, and he confesses in true humility, true humility, here I am, doubt and faith mixed. Could you do something with that? Are you able, are you willing? This is how we have to come to God. When we look at God like, do you care for us? Do you truly care for us? We can come to God with our doubts and our faith mixed. If you have doubt today, and if you have faith, bring your honest anxiety to God, all of yourself. That's the best thing you can offer. That's the most important thing as you enter into a time of learning how to cast your anxiety on God to bring all of yourself to him. So, this father did that. Is this the moral of the story? Bring your son to Jesus. Bring your anxieties to God. He cares for you. He heals you, makes you all better. That's the moral. That, that's not really the moral of the story. The moral of the story is when we step back and we see something bigger. The moral of the story is captured in this painting by Raphael called The Transfiguration. It's on the screen. And if you notice in this painting, the top half is glorious. You notice this dichotomy, glorious, the power of Christ, symbolized by symmetry and purity on the top half of the painting. And then you see the flaw and the chaotic scenes on the bottom half of man. This is exactly the scene that Jesus entered into. He was on that Mount of Transfiguration. It was glorious. Then he went down into chaotic humanity. And what this truly is, this whole story, what Jesus stepped into, what Mark wants to say is something bigger is going on here. Jesus, this is the Christmas story. This is Advent. Jesus stepped down from glorious heaven, seated next to the Father, and he stepped down into our chaotic, anxious, worried mess. And he took it on. That's what this tells us. That's what ultimately the story, what Mark is sharing in a big way is like Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration full of glory, could have stayed there forever, away from all that chaotic mess at the bottom, everyone yelling at each other, all this chaos, all this anxiety, all this worry. But he cares for us. But he cares for us. So he steps down into our mess. He steps into our anxiety. He steps into our worry. He steps into our world. And every single time he does that, everywhere Jesus goes in the book of Mark, things change. Every single time. He changes everyone. And what Mark is telling is that this story here is the whole gospel in miniature. We have people in the grip of evil. We have parental anguish. We have the disciples baffled by a lack of success. We have the scribes and leaders of the church arguing and we have people in distress. This is our world in miniature, and then Jesus steps right in the middle of it. In the Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate, incarnate deity. Pleased as man with him to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn King. 
What we are saying is that God cares for us so much that he stepped down into our anxious lives and took it on. And so when we go to him, we know he cares for us. When we go to him, we know we have everything, everything that we might need in that moment because of what Christ has done. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that we can cast our anxiety on you. We can, we can throw all of our worries and all of our fears and all of our doubts upon you. And so I pray as a church community that in this time of um, grief and loss and anxiety and worry and waiting for you to make all things new, God, we pray that we would just be able to bring our honest selves before you, all our doubts and our faith together. And we say that our faith is not in us, but our faith is in you. So what little faith we have, would you take it, God? We cast all of our anxiety upon you because you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.